Well, if you please take a copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22. As we can continue our series on um, Advent, uh, the anticipated Messiah, we've looked at the coming um, Messianic King, and the coming Messianic King and Priest. And this morning we look at the coming suffering Messiah, our Savior Jesus. Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast out from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan, they surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. And my bones are all out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in all of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship before him. Shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who cannot keep his life from death. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray.
Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this psalm which anticipated and prophesied of the coming Messiah. Lord, may our Savior be larger in our eyes this morning than he has been in a while. Give us a fresh zeal for for you and for your word that you might anoint both the preacher and the hearer alike. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. You know, as I finished writing this sermon uh, Wednesday afternoon, I realized this feels a lot more like a Good Friday sermon than it does a Christmas sermon. But I think there's often the um, impulse to remove the coming of Jesus with what he came to do. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 2, we find that uh, Joseph and Mary have brought the baby Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, to be presented, to pay the tax, and to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And Simeon, who had been longing for and looking for the coming of the Messiah, Simeon, he turned to Mary, and we learn in Luke 2.34, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts um, from many hearts may be revealed. It was in Christ's birth uh, that we find the coming of the one who came to die. The Old Testament saints, they looked to the coming of Jesus, they looked to the coming of the Messiah, not just they would revel in His birth, but they reveled and anticipated the coming of His birth that He might accomplish that which He came to accomplish. His people needed to be comforted. Isaiah 40, God tells the prophet Isaiah, Comfort, comfort my people, for their affliction, their warfare has ended. They looked for that day when their affliction would come to pass. And it came in part with the coming of Jesus. You know, Wednesday we um, celebrated and we marked the 75th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, which ushered our country into World War II and war against the Japanese, and just a few days later with Italy and Germany, the the whole Axis powers. In in all total, about 16.1 million Americans, men and women, women serving in non-combat roles, of course, as nurses and whatnot, would be in uniform. 16.1 million are serving all over around this world. Of those 16.1 million, 416,000 would die, give their lives, the ultimate sacrifice for our country. Another 600 some odd would uh, be wounded. Can you imagine? Can you imagine parents sending your child off to war? Some of you can imagine that. You have children who have served. You don't know the statistics, only we know the statistics now. Looking backwards, only about 1 in 16 were were casualties. Those aren't a comfort for you. Because you don't know if your child will come back alive or not. But there are people waiting around the world, needing freedom. Who are suffering under under the tyranny of Japanese oppression in China who are in concentration camps in Nazi Germany. France, which is ruled by the Germans, and Russia that is under attack. And it took the sacrifice of many for the freedom of all. You know, our Father sent His Son into this world, not with the chances of 1 in 16 of His Son being wounded or killed, 
not even even odds of 50-50. Our Father sent His Son into the world with the chances of 100%. 100% of dying, a, a gruesome death, a life of suffering. The Son volunteered. The council of redemption before eternity passed. They, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit came forth of this plan to send forth the Messiah to die in our place. And that through His suffering that our wounds may be healed. Therefore, we have to look past the manger. We have to look past the stable. We must look to the cross and to the empty tomb. For it is in the totality of Christ's life, His death, burial, and resurrection, that our salvation is found. And some a thousand years before His coming, David, a unique king, would prophesy, unintentionally so I believe, under the the Spirit's guidance, under the uh, direction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of the coming of the Messiah. And it would be through His suffering, the suffering of this child, grown into the God-man Himself, through His suffering we might receive salvation. Psalm 22 is perhaps familiar to you because we have these first words that we recognize on the lips of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But perhaps as you read it along with me just a few moments ago, bits and pieces made you think of other parts of the narrative of Christ's passion. Indeed, there's a very clear relationship between especially the Gospel of Matthew and Matthew 27 and Psalm 22. And so this morning I want to walk through Psalm 22 using uh, Matthew 27 as our guide. So perhaps if you have your Bibles before you, you may want to have both texts open before you. The first thing we see is in Matthew 27, 35, we read, And when they had crucified Him, they divided His garments among them by casting lots. Now this seems very familiar, doesn't it? We've just read of this in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. We read, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. You know, the last person, last thing a person owns, last thing a person owns is his clothes. Your bank accounts may be emptied, you may lose your house, you might even lose all your family, like Job. You know, he lost all his family except his loving wife, who told him to curse God and die. Uh, The last thing that you own, the last thing you own are your clothes. And here is our Savior, here is our Messiah. When He was born into this world, He was wrapped in swaddling cloths, we are told in the the narrative. They weren't fancy ones with the animal prints like the ones we had for Thomas and Lizzie. They weren't from Target. They weren't from Walmart. They weren't even from the local thrift store. They were bits and strips of cloth that had been closely guarded for this very purpose. Cloth of any kind was very expensive in Jesus' day. And so his loving mother and father wrapped him in these swaddling cloths to keep him warm and to care for him because they loved him. But if we fast forward 33 some odd years later, here is our Messiah and he doesn't even have a strip of cloth for modesty. For when the Roman soldiers, when they cast lots, when they divided garments among themselves, they would have left him nothing. 
Here is our Savior naked on the cross, taking not only our guilt, but our shame. And this is why He came. For we have much guilt and much shame. And as God's people looked for that day of comfort, they looked for the coming of one who would free them from their enemies. We all know the greatest enemy that we have is our sin and our guilt. He was despised and mocked in fulfillment of Psalm 22. We read in Matthew 27, 39, And those who passed by derided Him, wagging their heads. Can you imagine? Here is He who created all things, as He is committing the most selfless act in all of eternity, laying down His life for those who hated Him, those who were His enemies. Here is the one to whom all honor, praise, glory, power, and dominion belong. And yet instead of all of creation falling down before him, they spit and wag their heads. Psalm 22, 6-7. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, and they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Others weren't calling him a worm. They were. Excuse me. He wasn't calling himself a worm. Others were calling him that. You know, here is our Savior. Can you imagine the relieved joy of Mary upon Jesus' um, healthy birth? To hear those cries, it wasn't a silent night. It's a nice song to sing, but it wasn't. It was a labor of love, as one song puts it. Here was Mary, her joy overflowing when Jesus was delivered safely. They weren't in the Ritz and they weren't at D.W. McMillan. But they were sheltered from the elements by a kind innkeeper who gave them what he had. Imagine the faces of Mary and Joseph when they heard his first cry. The astonishment when the shepherds showed up. Praising the Lord, worshiping the baby, and telling of the angelic host and all that they had said. The text says that Mary treasured it in her heart. He cried that day because he was a baby. But if we fast forward 33 years, he cried again. He cried again upon the cross. He cried again upon the cross, not only because of the pain, the unbearable pain, but also the pain of the guilt of the Father, or excuse me, the wrath of the Father being poured on Him for our guilt. And certainly the rejection that He would have experienced from His people. Here is our suffering Savior. Matthew 27, 43 says, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. You know, it's interesting that um, as the crowds walked by and they they derided Jesus, as they mocked him, as they made fun of him, he says he's the Messiah. Can he save himself? Call on God, he'll save him. You know, many commentators believe actually that the, the crowds were intentionally quoting Psalm 22 here. They knew it was a messianic psalm of speaking of the coming one of Israel. And they're using the very words that they were fulfilling to mock Jesus. They quoted Psalm 22.8. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him now. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. You know, our Father in heaven would not deliver him from the cross. But he would deliver him from corruption from the grave. 
When the angel appeared to Joseph before the birth of Jesus, Joseph was, had decided to quietly divorce Mary so that um, she wouldn't be shamed because she'd been found to be with child before their marriage. He purposed to do so until the angel appeared to him and, and told him that Jesus had come to save His people from their sins. Matthew one twenty one. And it's interesting as we fast forward these 33 years that they are mocking Jesus and telling Him to call upon the God, on God to save Him. And here is the God-man dying that His enemies might be His friends. He was pierced for our transgressions. Psalm 22 uh, verse 16 through 17a. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat at me. The dogs here are the crowds. Not fluffy, cute dogs. Not poodles, not terriers. But mangy, wolf-like, ritually unclean, maggot-infested hounds looking to maul. And the crowds, they encircle him as they have pierced his hands and his feet. Clearly a reference to the crucifixion. Some a thousand years before his death. He can count all his bones. He can see his ribs. Because every time that he would have drawn himself up on the cross, it would have extended his rib cage and they would have been very visible. As he pulled himself up by his hands and pushed him up by his feet. The tension, the pain inflicted because of the nails would have been horrendous. Isaiah 53.5 tells of the coming suffering servant. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. We have much comfort in the fact that we have a Savior, a Messiah who has come and he has suffered. We've all known suffering. And we continue to know suffering. Indeed, suffering is part of this life because of the fall. And indeed, when we come to know Jesus, we are signing up ultimately for more suffering. Philippians 1 tells us He has appointed us not only to believe, but also to suffer. As we share in the suffering of our Savior. But there's something that's unique about the suffering of our Savior. As the Messiah who came, He came to suffer uniquely in a redemptive manner. He came to save His people. We can suffer for others. We can sacrifice for others. Many of you are involved in in sacrifice for caring for loved ones. And it is a sacrifice. And it's okay to say that. And we may sacrifice for others and point them to Jesus. But here is the one who is suffering who is the Lord. And He came to do it so that we might be free that we might know forgiveness of our sins. He came to save His people. And He achieved it on the cross. But finally, the verse that we all know, that opening verse of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We find this upon the lips of our suffering Savior, the suffering servant, the Messiah, in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sakbani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quoted in the Aramaic. It's very personal here. It's Jesus' language. Aramaic is a little different form of Hebrew. He's crying out as one who feels abandoned. 
You know, David, when he wrote this psalm, he felt as though he had been abandoned by God. Now, if we look at the end of Psalm 22, it ends on a high note. It ends in hope. It ends in deliverance. But if he he feels as though he's been abandoned by God, now you can't feel abandoned by someone that you don't trust in. This is not, he hasn't forsaken God. He hasn't turned his back on God. His, His faith is deep in the Lord. He says, my God, my God. Very personal. The the rub is that continually he says that that you have saved the people of the past, your people of the past, and yet you're not saving me. Why aren't you hearing my call? And so Jesus knew the same pain but far worse. He who had never sinned, he who had never um, experienced the division of fellowship or the removal of fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout all of eternity, now in his human nature... In his human nature, he feels abandoned. Why isn't God hearing him? He felt alone because the Father had made him, he had counted him as sin, and was pouring out his wrath on him that we might be saved. I love what Alan Ross said about this text, one of my seminary professors. He said, For Jesus to be abandoned to death by the Father in heaven meant that his death would accomplish our redemption. Or to put it more precisely, because the Father abandoned Him who died in our place, hear this, He will never abandon us who have come to faith in Him. The Father sent the Son to abandon Him, that we would never be abandoned by our God. This is what our Savior came to do. We see in Christ suffering that is unique and that is redemptive, but is also a comfort for us in that Christ has been there. Many times folks will come to me and tell me their horror stories, tell me what's going on in their lives, and and most of the time I can't tell them I've been there. One, I'm I'm, I'm like 18, you know, and and second, you know, I haven't been where everything they've, they've gone through. And I tell them that I've never been where you are. But let me tell you something. Jesus, He knows. He has suffered. He knows what poverty feels like. He knows what being rejected by others feels like. He knows what temptation feels like. We have a priest who has suffered and he's come through it. And now he comforts us. And he gives us strength. As we think about um, Christmas, we think about the, the, the arrival of sweet baby Jesus. He was born just like any other boy or girl into a world of, uh, full of hurting. He would have skinned his knees. There would have been playground scraps and undoubtedly conflicts with his siblings. But don't you know it had to been infuriating for his siblings? Because Jesus was always right. <laughs> he never sinned, Right? <laughs> But here's the thing, he came not just into a world of suffering, but to fix the suffering of this world. And he did this because he loves us. Do you know the love of this Savior Jesus? Did you know that he came to save his people from their sins? See, this text ends on a good note. Look at uh, verses 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and He rules over the nations. This is speaking about the Gentiles, you and me, unless you're Jewish. 
the nations would come and they would gather and be saved. It is through Christ's suffering that we have salvation. Come, Lord Jesus, and fix this world of suffering. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your Son, our Messiah, to be born in order to accomplish his task that we might have salvation. We thank you that we can find comfort in a Savior who has suffered and has known suffering more than we could ever imagine. Help us, Lord, in our suffering to look to you for grace. And we pray, Lord, that our Savior Jesus will return soon and make all things new. Until then, Lord, comfort, comfort your people. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen.